Louise Bedford here. Just before we kick off with today's show, I wanted to let you know that for one week only, you can get up to 84% off a selection of my most popular trading education products available through tradinggame.com.au. Make no mistake. Your financial future is in your hands. So check out the audios, videos, and study courses that I have available at tradinggame.com.au. Now's your chance to develop your skills as a trader for up to 84% off, but only for the next week. Let's get on with the show. Welcome to this year's final episode of Talking Trading. I'm financial journalist Caroline Stephen. 2015 saw a rollicking rollercoaster ride of international and Australian guests, as well as trading game mentorees. We had two market wizards on the show this year, Linda Rashke and trading coach Dr. Van Barp. We also had classical charting legend Peter L. Brandt. We heard from life coach extraordinaire Tanya Geisler, body language expert Alan Peace. We had the former translator to the Dalai Lama and the Cross of Valor recipient Al Sparks. Here are highlights of 2015 from our special guests. Louise Bedford. People are so attracted to the freedom of being a trader and also having an extra income source allows you to even out times when life is less certain. But I think there's a deeper issue happening here. There is a fight going on within people because they used to think that they'd have a job for life. And now we know we're being betrayed by our employers emotionally. And I'm not saying the employers are doing the wrong thing here because frankly, you know, everybody needs to make a buck and if somebody has to go, they have to go. But we are wounded by that. Our tribe has deserted us and that hurts. So we need to become more responsible for ourselves. We need to step up and realize that the buck stops with us and that we cannot rely on other people to give us the results that we're craving. Charting legend Peter L. Brandt. But the interesting thing is if I look back at the trades that have been my best trades over this period of time since 1975, they were trades that went in the first minute and they went in the first hour. They're trades that went and never looked back. Mm-hmm. And we made we were in the money on the first day and we never were out of the money. There were trades that never put us at doubt. And I think that's been the true a characteristic of our good trades. You know, I always tell a young trader, if they want to know what works for them, they need to deconstruct the trades that worked for them. You know, find out what trades worked for them for you and then deconstruct them. What was it about those trades that made those trades unique? Because that's what then they need to look for. It is going to take three to five years to learn how to trade. And the question is, what's going to last longer? You, is your money going to be gone before you've given yourself the opportunity to make enough mistakes to actually be a trader? Because that's how you learn is by making mistakes. And when you make mistakes, it costs you money. And so if you're going to make mistakes, have them be cheap mistakes. But be willing to take three to five years to learn the process because that's really how long it's going to take to become a real proficient trader. 
I know my trading approach. I know the way I trade intimately. I know it better than I know my wife. <laughs> I've been married 46 years, but I know my trading approach intimately. I know, I know its heart rate. I know how it breathes. You know, I know its personality. You know, you start out thinking, I want to do this because I want to make money. And, and I, you know, every trader that I've met who, who I consider to be a, a peer, a peer trader, a, a, real, uh, a journeyman. Uh, in the true sense, every journeyman trader I've ever met has said, no, I'm in it. I might have come in it to be make money, but I'm here now to be excellent. I want to be excellent at what I do. I am seeking excellence and profits will come after that. Market wizard, Linda Rashke. You know, we can all talk technicals and setups and strategies endlessly. But for me, I have to say that 90% of my game has is is that I have to have a routine because then that sets into motion everything being on autopilot. And I don't want to be doing analysis or thinking when the markets are trading. I want to be there waiting for my opportunity or in a good space to execute without making unforced errors, which um, being blonde, I am particularly prone to. The best the, the skill set that I've been best at, that I think helped me be successful in the markets, is that I have a very good single-mindedness. You know, very focused single-mindedness. And maybe that came from practicing the piano when I was a little kid all those years. It, it takes that single-mindedness and focus when you are concentrating on the market. Dale Gillum. And we can only learn by doing something. And that's the really, really important crux of this is you have to do something to learn something. Uh, and that's what most people don't do when it comes to trading. They don't do it or they don't do enough to be able to get the knowledge and experience. Because I don't know about you, but if you think back to when you first got behind the wheel of a car, and I know I think this and it's scary when I got <laughs> behind the wheel of a car, but the more you did it and the more you drive a car, the more confident you became. So it's, the more you do it, the better you get, the less risk you take, the less fear you have the more confidence you get. It is simple. And there's an old saying I also have, it's called be to have. You need to be the trader. And in order to be the trader, you have to do what the trader does. And if you do that, then you have what the trader has. And I find most people don't get the first bit right. They don't do what the trader does. Chris Tate. Japan is impenetrable. It, it just is. Its language is impenetrable. Its deep history makes it impenetrable. Its history of isolation makes it very difficult to sort of see behind the curtain and I thought well if the culture is so different it'll be interesting to see how their traders are different if they are at all and what it reinforced in me is that the psychology of trading is actually a base function it's such a low level function it's hard-coded identically into every trader in the world it's completely cross-cultural we all make the same stupid mistakes so whilst culture gives us this veneer of the way we do things this superficial layer the basic psychology of people is that we're all the same. You know, as they say, everybody's pink on the inside. James Ramelli. So my trading style surrounds uh, pretty much only equity options. I have traded a lot of markets in the past. In general, it has 
been equity options that have provided me what I believe to be the most edge over the general trading public. And we get that edge by looking at institutional order flow. So it's a little bit different of a way of trading than what most retail traders would normally be doing, looking at charts and things like that. What we're looking at is real-time buying and selling of large blocks of equity options by taking a look at all of the order flow across every single equity options exchange in the U.S. and then flagging the most suspicious or unusual-looking trades and then using that as a proxy to try and figure out what big hedge funds or institutional money is doing with their risk capital. And what they're doing with their risk capital is what I want to do with my risk capital. Author of Women of the Street, Meredith Jones. One of the things that people tend to say about female traders is that they are risk adverse, and that is not generally a compliment. Uh, What actually is the truth is that women tend to perceive risk differently. Women have a much flatter probability weighting curve, for example, which means that they do a much better job of, of matching their expected return with their actual return. And one of the reasons you could think about this is if you think about it from an evolutionary perspective, if you were a caveman, you took a big calculated risk, there was a lot of potential reward for you. If you killed the biggest woolly mammoth out there, then chances are you got to marry a prettier wife, maybe you got to be chief, maybe you got the biggest tent or the biggest cave or whatever it may be, but there was a lot of reward there for you. If you were a cave woman and you took a really big uncalculated risk, then there wasn't a whole lot of payoff for you if you happened to achieve whatever the goal was. But if you didn't achieve that goal, what was going to happen? Well, chances are you were going to die and your progeny was going to die too. And so I think that women had to become more adept at matching their expectations to their reality. And so when we look at female traders, we tend to see this. They do an excellent job of matching expectation with actual. Body language expert, Alan Peace. Well, again, you look at human evolution, it makes sense. As a species, we've survived a million years or more by male's ability to make right decisions. In other words, he needs to know whether you should stay stay under cover or come out in the open. He needs to be able to know when to go and hit that animal and chase it and bring it home to feed you. He needs to be right and being able. He needs to make all the decisions. Should you stay or move? And historically, female evolution has been having babies and making sure, from a job perspective, that those those babies, which are your DNA, are not eaten, killed, or taken away. So you need a special set of skills to be able to do that, which don't involve hitting a moving zebra at 50 metres which is one of male brain skills good at. So a guy sitting in his cave looking out into the distance wondering about what to do next for the family, everybody depended on this guy to be right. And that's why today it translates into things like we're not stopping at that garage to ask directions. We'll just keep going around all night to find that address, despite what you say, Caroline. No point in arguing with a guy about the fact that trivia question is wrong or he won't stop at the garage uh, or he made a mistake. It's better to anticipate this is what's going to happen. So... If you're running late for the party, you've just passed that McDonald's store three times in the last hour and you should have been there half an hour ago at the party. You say, look, I really need to go to the loo. Can you stop at the garage so I can use the loo? And then you wander inside, pretend he's buying a newspaper and say, oh, by the way, do you know how I get the such and such? The neighbor's saying, you are an idiot. We passed that garage three times in a row because we, we don't want to hear it. We don't want to hear it from another male. Another male wouldn't do that anyway. If two males together will just drive around all night each pretending that they don't know where they are. Life coach, Tanya Geisler. 
when we say, when we undermine our successes, that's also something about trying to make everybody around us feel better. Mm, yeah, right? Like, we got to do that. That's our job. We got to make everybody feel comfortable. We got to, we can't be too much. We can't shine too brightly. But here's the thing I don't know if there's anything more glorious than watching somebody really rock it out on stage, really rock it out professionally. Really, you know, if it, from, it comes from a place of, of integrity and authenticity and talent. Like, isn't it incredible to watch Beyonce on stage? When, wasn't it thrilling when she released all of that music? like over you know overnight you're like damn but it was just like yes there it is there is sheer talent it was impossible not to celebrate with her impossible not to dance with her so why do we relegate that to the Beyonce's why what why can't we hold each other in that same way and I think that intrinsically we want to I really 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 believe that your people want you to succeed so you need to let them Market Wizard Trading Coach, Dr. Van Tharp. You know, the, the metric was something where you were all programmed, people were all programmed to operate a certain way and live very routine, ordinary lives. And it's really brilliant because it's, it's the way things are. To do what society wants us to do, to leave a boring, ordinary lives. But if you realize you're in a matrix, then you can do what they did. You can, you can take the red pill and you can start to reprogram yourself. And reprogramming is simply, you know, understanding that there is a matrix. Your matrix is shaped by your beliefs, for example. And if you begin to understand the beliefs and the charges that separate you, you know, and how people do something well and the strategies that are involved in that versus how people do things poorly and the strategies involved in that, you know, I mean, you can literally reprogram people Resilience coach, Michael Lissenblatt. Well, I think the first and important thing is, is not to personalize failure. Failure is not about you. We like to add meaning to what failure is. It, we attach a lot of self-esteem to outcome. We're taught that if you work hard and you do well, we will reward you. You go to school, you work hard, you get good grades, and we will see you as a good person or a person who is successful. Success is often measured in terms of deliverables or in terms of outcome. So therefore, we attach a lot of self-esteem to being able to do stuff. So when we fail at something, uh, we take it personally, and we associate failure with not being good enough, and therefore, uh, it's hard to move past for many people. I often say that resilience, you've got to to sort yourself out. Separate your worthiness from your learning. Separate the fact that success will come from a series of successes and failures of doing things right and wrong. And it's not about who you are as a person or your, um, your value as an individual. You have to separate that. And when you can do that, it allows you to bounce back faster. Property investment expert, Michael Yardney. Victims tend to blame others, and there's no such thing as a rich victim. So the statistic that Thomas Corley found when he was studying these wealthy people and average people were that the poor people blamed, I haven't got a good education, I haven't got a good job, my parents didn't teach me this. Wealthy people don't believe that. Interestingly, when you look at the BRW Rich 200 list that comes out every year, it showed that tertiary education, even secondary education wasn't necessary. In the BRW Rich 200 list, we had migrants, we had people who were given money, for inherited money, uh, we, we had people who worked really hard. So most people, though, believe, 
I guess they feel comforted by the fact that it's not my fault because it's, I am um, uh, not intellectually gifted or I wasn't given this money. Again, you've got to become the pilot of your life, be the cause of all the things that happens to you rather than the passenger of your life where you're on, on the other side of the equation. Author of The Artist's Way, Julia Cameron. Well, I think that we have a tendency to, to want to believe that prosperity has to do with our fiscal bottom line. So we tend to think, well, if I had a half a million, I'd feel prosperous. And what I have discovered is that prosperity actually has to do with your spiritual bottom line that when we have a sense of well-being, we have a feeling of prosperity. So it's a question of how much faith do you have in the universe that asks the question, am I prosperous enough? A lot of times we are sort of cheap with ourselves. What I say is try to learn to spoil yourself just a little, and that as you spoil yourself a little bit, you begin to feel more prosperous. Alan Furlong. Because the one tool that we have in our toolkit that nobody knows um, its limitations is our brain. So, you know, we have, I believe, a extraordinary untapped potential, all of us. What brain training does, if you want to use that term rather than meditation, what brain training does is actually allow you to, to genuinely tap into this extraordinary resource and then watch what happens around you, not just for yourself, but in your interactions with other people, when you're under pressure in the middle of a trade, um, when you need to think with multiple uh, inputs all at the same time, watch what happens. Former translator to the Dalai Lama, Sonam Rigson. So in a funny sort of way, if you are in a business field, highly competitive business, you could be the true Buddhist practitioner who understands the power of mind far more than perhaps average Joe Blow like myself in the street because more the power, the intricacy of mind is understood when there's a lot more at risk, at stake. If you go back to historically, at the time of Buddha, all of Buddha's followers were not a beggar. They were celebrity, today's celebrity people. They were like a princess and a princess and artisans and kings and ministers and so on because they had so much to lose. Therefore, they, they have so much in a position to experience the power of mind. Australian comedian Anthony Aykroyd. Yeah, I could talk for hours about the benefits of laughter. I mean, the, the, for example, every time we laugh, we actually massage all our internal organs and, and vitalise all the internal organs. Uh, people who study laughter are called gelatologists, gelatologists, which is from the, um, the god Roman god Jealous, the god of mirth. But anyway, these people have found things like, you love this, one minute of a good solid, solid belly laugh is equivalent in terms of aerobic conditioning to 10 minutes on an exercise bike. So I always say in my talks, you know, the next time someone says, are you going to come out and work out with me? Just respond by going, <laughs> I already am. Positivity coach, Dr. Susie Green. So we know for a flourishing individual, it's not as if they don't experience 
any negative emotion, you know, fear or anger or sadness, they do, but they don't have, most of their day isn't uh, taken up by those emotions. In fact, again, they're experiencing more positive emotions like joy and love and gratitude and awe. We know that flourishing individuals are very engaged. They're in the flow state. And again, I'm thinking with trading, you know, people will know what I'm talking about where you, where did the last, you know, two hours go to? Um, we know they have lots of positive relationships. So they actually really consciously focus on creating conscious and kind relationships with people around them. They have um, a sense of meaning and why am I doing what I'm doing in my job and in my life? Uh, and they have high levels of accomplishment, but not to the detriment of their well-being because often you see in high-performance situations, um, where people are really, you know, putting themselves under the pump, but to the detriment of their well-being. Whereas a flourishing individual has the double whammy of achievement and well-being together. And then obviously H as health, they invest heavily in their physical health through diet, exercise, sleep, meditation, for example. Motivational speaker Amanda Gore. If, if you take nothing away else, uh, from this interview other than this, it can help change your life. I talk about putting on a set of gratitude glasses. Put your, you can make a, a circle between your index finger and your thumb on both hands. Put them over your eyes as you're listening. <laughs> it, really, they're your gratitude glasses. And if you start to look at everything that happens to you in your life and everything you have in your life with gratitude, you'll notice that you start to feel more joyful. Because it really is the stepping stone, the foundation stone for joy. Most of us are blessed beyond imagination. Oh, oh, I know. Have you ever seen a uh, YouTube clip called First World Problems? No. Go to YouTube and look up First World Problems and go to the one that's had about over 9 million hits and it will suddenly put everything that you're complaining about into perspective. And we do, we complain about the most trivial, ridiculous things and we focus on everything that's wrong in our lives. And everything that's wrong is usually about 10 to 20%. And we forget about the 80% that's fantastic or just good. Cross the Valor recipient, Al Sparks. Yeah, look, it's an old cliche, but we do have one life. And having done the job that I did do and, and thousands of people are still doing... We see humanity um, at its worst. We don't ever get a minute back. Once it's gone, it's gone forever. And if you do not go and do the things that you really want to do that mean so much in your heart, then you'll never live the life that you, I don't say you should do, but if you, if you go and do that, you will enrich your life in ways that you never thought possible. And you will probably have experiences that you will treasure for every day forward in your life. And I just feel so sorry for people to get caught up in a system where they think they can't escape from. And it takes great courage to step out of that. But if you can, if you can just have the, the impetus to go and do it, you'll then enter a pathway of life that will can branch off into areas you never thought possible. And, and so much enrichment and fulfilment and worth um, will just come flooding to you. And that is all for 2015, guys. I'd also like to thank all the trading game mentorees who were brave enough to come onto the show and share their trading journeys. Mari Burgess. 
Karen Hanson Palambiri, Adonis Destunas, Catherine Roberts, Maria Montgomery, Kirsten Stolt, and Joe Papa. Thank you to Louise Bedford and Chris Tate, whose passion to inspire people towards financial freedom is boundless. Talking Trading was designed to give traders an extra level of support and motivation. And Louise and Chris work tirelessly to help traders achieve financial results in the markets. We will be back on the airwaves on February 3. I'm Caroline Stephen, and on behalf of the team, have a wonderful Christmas and New Year. Presented on Talking Trading are general in nature and do not take into account your objectives, financial situation or needs. Before acting on any of the information, consider its appropriateness in regard to your own situation.